Kentucky Court Furniture Clearance Center for up to 70% off new retail prices. Stock is updated regularly, so you never know what kind of treasures you'll find. We offer a wide variety of stylish furniture for any budget, and every piece is court certified, so you can let your personality show in every room. And now through April 3rd is our tax refund sale. Mention refund 25 and take 25% off living room and dining room beds. Use your refund and refresh your home with stylish finds from Court Furniture Clearance Center. Go to courtclearancefurniture.com today. You're listening to a Castaway Media Podcast. Find more great shows at castaway.media or find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash castawaypodcasts. Welcome to episode two of Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Elaine Buckley. On this edition of Fair Game, we're pairing things right back to where it all begins for athletes, the grassroots of their schools, clubs and communities. We'll be exploring the development of girls' sport from a young age and how that interest carries through to adulthood. You can visit our website at castaway.media forward slash fair game for previous episodes and check back in fortnightly for future episodes. You can also search and subscribe to Fair Game in iTunes. Don't forget to follow our account on Twitter. The username is FairGameCast. And join the conversation. Let us know what you think. Hashtag is FairGamePodcast. Joining us for this episode are the two women who are in the best possible position to discuss this topic, both elite athletes in their respective fields and both working continuously toward developing gender parity in sport. On the pitch, Nora Stapleton plays out half for both the Irish women's rugby squad and the three in a row AIL champions Old Belvedere. Off it, she's the women's and girls rugby development executive with the IRFU and previously worked as a games promotion officer with the GAA. Ruth Fahey is a midfielder with Wexford Youths Football Club and played a key role in her team's first ever FAI Women's Cup triumph last November. Ruth is also a com- columnist with the Continental Tires Women's National League. That's a mouthful. Uh, frequently tackling many of the issues that will be up for discussion here and now. Ruth and Nora, you're very welcome along to Fair Game. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you. So to kick us off, let's go back to where it all began for you both. Um, how did you get into sport as, as a young girl? Was it involvement with a club or a school team or was it just kicking a ball around your back garden with the brothers and sisters? Or um, Yeah, I'll go ahead. I think it was definitely started off back in the family home. Um, my parents are both really into sport, really outdoorsy. My mom is often referred to as a hippie, but I say outdoorsy. <laughs> but uh, no, they're great. So I've got two younger brothers and older sisters, so it was a lot of ball kicking around. Um, I moved from Dublin to Galway when I was eight or nine, and it was there I enrolled in primary school. So I think there were two girls and 12 boys. So that's just the way it kind of happened. And out in the yard, we had one ball and 14 people, and it was soccer weather. <laughs> I liked it a lot. But uh that was probably the best move I ever made because that's where I discovered that I loved it. Um, so from there, I just looked around for a club and there was no club for girls at that stage. So it would have been eight, nine, ten. I think I played with the boys under 12 for a couple of years and then finally discovered an under 12 girls team. So it was literally a parent who had a couple of girls who wanted to play and kicked off from there, really. That was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes, well, mine's a bit different. Uh, neither of my parents would be that sporty. Um, so I was, I'm the oldest of five kids and I guess I was lucky enough because my mum's brother is only seven years older than me. So we would have been kind of messing around. He was kind of like an older brother to me. Um, and it was a lot of, again, soccer in the back garden or just anything that went. It depended on the time of year. Um, but up the road, there was my best friend was a guy called Kieran O'Gorman and he had loads of older brothers. So every day either I was up there or he was down in my house and it was just constantly you were messing outside you know playing football in the yard or whatever it was um, in relation to clubs I like because we weren't a sporting family we didn't really uh, I guess you know you didn't join a club or anything like that so <clears throat> um, in school we had I got a teacher called Manus O'Donnell and he just got you playing everything so in school it was all about playing with the boys and uh, there was a couple of girls teams I remember playing camogie and things like that but mainly it was hurling Gaelic football with the lads and you went off and did that so I suppose primary school was the main place where I would have played most of my sports um, and then going into secondary school that kind of yeah, just changed, you know, you moved on to whatever was coming after that, basketball and I did a good bit of handball as well so you just kind of dabbled in, in all sports And what age or kind of how did sport then transcend from a hobby into something a bit more serious for you? Um, for me it was probably when I or just before going to college I joined a Gaelic football team in Bunkrana um, so I was too old for the underage stuff that would have happened around where I was from and I had to join, find an under-18 team, so I joined the Bunkrana team. And that was kind of the first time where I realised, oh, you actually have to do a bit of training. Um, you know, and it <laughs> became a little bit more serious. But I still didn't know anything about like county teams or getting on the Donegal team or, or soccer trials or anything like that. I just played because I enjoyed running around and enjoyed being active. Um, so then when I went to college, suddenly I was in UCD and I was a fresher and I was playing guy football with like county players from Leash, Galway, Dublin, Cork. Like I just I didn't even know who these girls were, but I kind of realised shit, they're a whole lot better than me here. I'm gonna have to step up a bit. Um and the training was the hardest training I've ever done, getting sick at the side of the pitch and things like that. So that kinda started to change the whole concept of sport for me um, and then it was actually a friend of mine Lorraine O'Sullivan who I played against her in the Connor Cup final and she came up to me afterwards and was like here can I give your number to the Donegal manager and that's then when I got on the, the county panel and kind of became a little bit more serious as opposed to just running around the pitch Yeah yeah. I suppose I would be in the same, I would have just played for pure enjoyment and loved to run around and be outside Um I'd say it was secondary school where I discovered that there was more to it. It would have been when we kind of went for trials for Connacht. So literally, I look back now, I think the first trial I went to was an under-14 Connacht trial. Turned up in Galway. The coach was there. There were no other players and I kind of thought, I must be in the wrong place here. There's nobody here. And I was obviously nervous as a 14-year-old would be at her first trial. And it turns out I was the only one there for the trial. So it's mad when you look now at under-14 Connacht trials and the comparison between the numbers. Um... As luck had it, my friend turned up half an hour later. So we had two at my first trial, myself, my friend Maeve and uh, our coach. Um, Lucky enough, the next year when I pushed on to under 16, there was a, a proper kind of representative side from all over Connacht. So I think it was that stage where I realised, wow, you can actually push on with this. And there's other girls who want to play because in school it was pretty much just me that played soccer. I mean, myself, my friends all played hockey. 
basketball um, swimming was really popular where I was from but soccer was just not a big thing uh, it was just something I discovered in primary school and I was lucky that I was close to Salt Hill Devon that I discovered that we we had enough basically for a small team but it was only when I discovered the Connacht trials that I realised there was more to it so um, made the Connacht under 16 team and then from there you get selected for Irish trials so this was huge I hadn't even realised there was an under 17 Irish team um, so I suppose it was that age kind of 15, 16 that you I suppose when you saw there were other girls who were played too it was such a huge deal then because you were so used to kind of being the only one and surprising people when you told them you played soccer so that was big and yeah like Nora in college it was a whole different ball game as well um, not only were there more girls playing but there was a lot of girls who were very good and better than than I was as well so uh, that kind of spurred you on it was from there I discovered my love for the gym and all of the things because I suppose that natural competitiveness when you see you're kind of a, a bit of a distance off with the girls who are the same age or a bit older than you that you want to drive on so it was I suppose it was that period 15, 16 up to about 18, 19 that I really pushed on and thought yeah there's actually opportunities here it was a, a really exciting time So Ruth you've stuck with soccer kind of all the way through dabbled in a few other sports but Nora you actually made a complete switch from from Gaelic football to rugby to rugby became your, your predominant sport how did that come about? Um, yeah <laughs> so I did I made a complete switch but I suppose I was going back to college again and I played a lot of sports so I was playing the Gaelic football I went into soccer and then I remember training out of UCD and seeing the rugby girls going out to rugby training and I always kind of wondered about it you know should I maybe give it a go um, because when we were younger my best friend Kieran O'Gorman used to go off with his brothers um, and play rugby but because I was a girl girls weren't allowed to play for the team so that was kind of a new thing and that stuck with me for a while um, anyway I got it go in college so I had too much on so I didn't pick it up then but when I finished and I came back from years travelling uh, I went out to play a tag rugby game just as a social day out and somebody there came up to me and said here we ever give proper rugby a go um, so I hemmed and hawed about it for about a month or so um, I was kind of nervous I suppose to go down because I didn't really know what to expect and I didn't know anybody at all who played rugby um, so it was very new and you just yeah it's, I don't know maybe I wasn't brave enough for a while but decided you know what I might as well I haven't committed myself to any team here back in Dublin yet so I'll go down and see how it is so that was in 2007 and I went down to Old Belvedere and from the start I just loved it um, it was completely different than any other team sport I'd played and I was probably handy enough at it um, the team I was put into centre so I was 12 or 13 or something like that but I remember going out to my first game and yeah scoring something ridiculous and it was really only because I could sidestep and evade people and things like that but I think I got like four tries and six conversions or something which was a bit mad but it was tennis side on a full size pitch so there was a little bit more space there um, but I was playing for Old Belvedere for about a year maybe two years um, and 2008 I went out to Leinster I was asked to go out to Leinster trials and out I went I still didn't really know how to play the game it was all pretty new to me and a girl ran at me 
and tried to hand me off and the only way I knew how to get her down was to fall on the ground and bring her with me but she ended up landing on top of me <laughs> and breaking one of my ribs so that wasn't the best way of doing it but um, I learned from that I know how to tackle now uh, but uh, need to say I didn't get on the Leinster team that year because I think the matches were, were coming up and uh, yeah I'd banjax my my rib um, wasn't helped that I had to go out and try and play a Donegal match four days later which I was useless in because I couldn't lift my left arm but uh, anyway that's a different story um, but then in 2009 I went back out to the Leinster trials and our coach for Leinster was Philip Doyle who was you know, he just used to roar at the top of his voice and he scared the living daylights out of me but um, I got on the team that year and he put me on the wing so fair play to him you know I'm sure he was taking a bit of a chance because I was still a bit raw but I just loved to try and get the ball in my hands and run at people and obviously under a high kick or anything like that I was decent enough so that was in November I think 2009 into December and then it was either the end of December or beginning of January Philip was brought into the Irish coaching setup and maybe he had a say I don't know but anyway I was asked to go for Irish trials and got my first cap against Italy in 2010 Six Nations so it was all very quick um, over a couple of months uh, from there we pushed on into the World Cup which was in 2010 in England so again it was another step up it was a whole completely different environment and just the, the tempo of the matches everything was, was crazy but uh yeah, 2010, I think that, you know, the training increased a bit more. I had to take the gym more serious. My diet, um, had not that I had a bad diet or anything like that, but you're more aware of, say, even your protein intake and things just so you'd be strong enough to be able to, to play the matches. Um, and then 2011, <laughs> after 2010 World Cup, a lot of people retired and I noticed that all the out-halves had retired. So we were going back into camp in 2011 and... Somebody there, I think the coach goose turned around and said, Okay, somebody go 10, and nobody moved in this circle <laughs> of people. <laughs> and he suddenly realized there, were, there weren't any 10s. So I stepped forward and went into the 10 spot and picked up a ball, and he laughed at me. <laughs> and he, he laughed and was like, What are you doing? And I was like, Well, you've no one else. So, and he's like, Well, that's true. Um, see how it goes. And it was just from there, like, I, I was not that I was bored in the wing, but I knew the wing wasn't my position. And I think maybe it was coming from playing Gaelic football and soccer, where I was either midfield or fullback or something like that, that I was more in the game and I was making a lot more of the decisions and perhaps reading the game. Um, that I just knew. I would like the 10 spot uh, for rugby and I wanted to give it a go so it was a brave enough decision and then I ended up playing there in 2011 I think it was um, but again uh, like even if you compare the training now to the training back then it's completely different which, which sounds mad because it's only a short space of time but you know now we're in the high performance back then we were Oh, we were lucky if we had a gym programme all year round um, a lot of time you might have to do it yourself as well and it was to no fault of anybody you know the game we were, everyone was trying to progress the game there if you were progressing it the coaches were progressing it the players ourselves we were trying to progress it but I guess we all had to learn as we were going as well um, so yeah that's kind of where it all started um, I did miss 2012 due to injury but got back into it in 2013 which was lucky enough because <laughs> uh, we 
did something magic that year. Good timing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly did. And um, of course, the having access to facilities and the conditioning side of your training is, is so important. Um, Ruth, has there been any kind of places that where you've trained that have kind of really stood out? Um, yeah, definitely. I think making that move from Galway to Limerick to go to college at University of Limerick was a standout moment for me in terms of facilities. Um, if I remember rightly, I lived in Kilmurray Village, which was literally a, a stone's throw from the arena. And in the arena, you had your gym, you had the indoor track, um, 50 metre pool, all these things that, you know, you wouldn't be used to having access to. So as a an athlete in the college, we had free access and I also worked as a lifeguard there. So just that was kind of my world for a couple of years, the arena and living right beside it, training on the pitches right beside the arena. Um, in first year, we were lucky enough to have Stephen Griffin as our coach. So he was a sports science graduate, a young guy, but he was just a breath of fresh air in terms of that he really, he was really a good coach. And I suppose it was the first time we had someone that cared enough to put um, a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of planning and strategy into how we actually trained and not even just on the pitch, but he tried to make us better athletes. So we hadn't really, a lot of us hadn't felt that before. So it's funny at age 18, you know, now that's a little bit old to have to come across that as your first time being exposed to how important athleticism and the gym and conditioning and like you mentioned diet and training how important that is so that was like the first taster that I had anyways of of how much it could benefit you if you kind of put your own time into it so it just goes to show what, what influence a coach can have um but in terms of facilities I think another step up was when I went to the states on a scholarship um, it was typical of me, a very impulsive decision. I deferred my final year of college and off I went over to Pittsburgh with a teammate of mine and it was the best time ever. Um, it was just for one season. So it wasn't even a big college. It was just a small D2 college in Pittsburgh. The name was Slippery Rock. I know a lot of laughs come out of that, but it was definitely a, a good time. Um in terms of facilities, everything was there. The pitches were immaculate. Um, we got everything that the guys got. The gear was amazing. We didn't have to stress, so we didn't have to fundraise. It was all there, and that that was the best thing ever. So I actually travelled around a little bit, and I got to see a friend of mine who's in Ohio State. And I mean, the facilities there were just a dream come true. It really, really, really. I've never seen anything like it before. But I suppose that year in the States showed me what a difference it can make when you have access to places like that. And that was probably the fittest I've ever been. Um, the best, some of the best soccer I've ever played. And yeah, from there, then I'm not sure that anything has topped that since back in Ireland. Um, playing down at Wexford now, we're lucky to have access to a great clubhouse, great setup, good pitch. But I suppose the gym access, things like that, we have to organise ourselves, and that's just I suppose that's just where the game is at at the moment. We don't have we don't have a solid S and C coach at the moment. Um, we kind of look after ourselves and look to our current coaches for guidelines. But yeah, I'd say the states was a highlight for me, and UL is definitely four great years that I had in terms of sport as well. You both have always played team sports, but the Liberty Insurance landmark was up study. Um, came back with some really surprising statistics. So twice as many Irish men as Irish women play a team sport. And females aged age 17 to 34 um, 
show the lowest participation in team sports but you guys have always played team sports so why do you think it is that women shy away from team sports what made you just gravitate toward always playing a team sport you you know you haven't really spoken about playing an individual sport so why team sports and and why do you think those statistics kind of yeah differ right. to your experience um yeah it's it's really strange i mean i think well certainly when i was younger like and i don't know if it's just because maybe i wasn't from a sporting family or anything like that but i didn't really have role models that i looked up to you know and perhaps it was like well certainly for young boys and stuff like that's all your athletes and anybody who you saw or who was in the papers or tv or anything like that and it was always male athletes now of course you have the likes of Sonia Sullivan and those individuals who and again an individual sport but you know they're the people you heard about so I don't ever remember hearing about a female sports team um when I was younger at all I didn't know that there was an Irish team um I didn't know that there was a rugby, an Irish women's rugby team until I was in college or I probably even left college. So that's my early you were on it. <laughs> Well, yeah, like, <laughs> not too far off, to be honest, like it, which sounds a bit bizarre. Um, but you just didn't hear about that sort of thing. Um, I probably was a little bit more aware of the Irish women's soccer team, but again, not until I got into college. Um, as I mentioned, I didn't even know that there was county female teams um, at underage level. So... Like at under 14, under, well, under 14 anyway, I was still playing with the boys and would have been one of the best on the team, but yet wasn't aware that there was an under 14 Donegal team. Um, didn't know that there was an under 16 team or even a minor panel. So it just was all very new to me. And maybe that's something that kind of reflects the, the playing population. I also think, though, as you get older, um, I think for females, and not everybody, but for some of them, um, their priorities change slightly and I do think that individual sports from time to time can be maybe not as time consuming or they can uh, they're more flexible so you can dip in and out of them so if you're you know if you're running or cycling or something like that you can maybe pick and choose what you want to do and your time of year whereas if you join a team then you're committed to the schedule of that team and if they're training twice a week and have matches on a Sunday or Saturday you're committed to doing that whereas uh, for some females I don't think that suits and they just don't want to to uh, yeah commit to the, the time that's, yeah. that it takes up yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'd say definitely it's a priority. Um, it's definitely a priority thing. But something I think about is that I suppose we've all seen, you know, the, the kind of fitness trends that are coming up lately. And for a lot of females who maybe weren't sporty in the past who take it up, so say kind of late 20s, even early 30s, and decide, look, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get healthy this year and that's great. But they may not have had the experience of team sports before and I suppose if you don't have it and you, you and you don't get a taste here for what it can give you, then you don't know how how beneficial it can be. Maybe that's something. Maybe that that could be a reason. Um, I know. I in terms of individual sports, I used to do a lot of swimming, and I did it for years and years, and I hated it. I don't know <laughs> why I did it. I literally for so many years, so many mornings before school, I used to go out and swim. And I hated every moment. I used to cry at galas. I don't know why I did it. But uh, and then I discovered team sports in school. I played basketball, hockey and, of course, soccer. And it was just a totally different feeling. It's just it's kind of sharing your joy with people. And if you don't have that growing up, I'm not sure that you can really appreciate how great it is. Do you know that kind of way? So, But definitely 
um, in a practical sense when you're kind of late 20s early 30s and older yeah it's priorities it's time I think time is huge and with a lot of teams that require a lot of commitment you just can't give it when you have family you might have kids you've got work um, that's just the way it goes but then again you see things like boot camps and people often go back to them because of the group mentality and they mm-hmm. love the group but that's kind of that is what team sport is I guess in a way so what I would say to people is if they're trying to get healthy and get fit is maybe try a team sport we don't have to commit 100% um, you know there's a lot of social clubs a lot of like Gaelic teams, soccer teams, rugby, anything, tag rugby, whatever you want to try and just give it a go. And if you kind of get a taster for how much fun it is, especially if it's not a hugely serious level, then it's something that you kind of get hooked on, I think. So maybe people just are a little reluctant to try it. But I reckon mm. if more gave it a try, then we might get more of a better retention level in that sense. Yeah, and just it's funny because we recently developed like a long-term player development model for rugby and something that we had to add into it was a separate section for late beginners because really we have good. so many people coming into rugby who are in their late 30s, even mm. into their early 40s, who want to try a team sport and they see rugby as that kind of... well. It, I suppose particularly because of what the women's team are doing and yeah. now they're more aware of rugby for females. But also they kind of realise, well, OK, I might not be fast or, you know, I might not be yeah. particularly big or small or anything like that. But if I just need to catch a ball and run and then try and tackle people, you know, it's kind of easier for a lot of the non-sporty people as well to, yeah. to take up, which is quite interesting um, when you look at it. But, yeah, we've had to do that late beginner module just to make coaches aware of it, teams aware of the late beginners coming into the sport that don't know the rules. They haven't a clue how to play like the way I was um, and how do you integrate them into a team. So it is, it's interesting. Do you get many numbers? Do you get big numbers there? Yeah, it's yeah. it's like all the time I'd say there's not a team across Ireland that doesn't have a new player joining each week yeah. you know so it's and now it kind of goes up and down certain times of the year like or September October you would get more in the door but uh, it's just interesting you always hear mm. of new people rocking up to clubs yeah. The the drop off rates they're they're quite startling and I actually I did I did it myself as soon as I left school stopped playing hockey and didn't go back to it for like seven years and as soon as I went back to it I was just like why have I been going to the gym by myself for all this time yeah. this is so much crap <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's just I don't know sometimes you have to give it up to miss it and and the hope is that more and more people would would go gravitate back towards team sports I guess but um, development and promotion of of women's and girls sports seems to be kind of almost a vocation for for you both in terms of kind of the work you do kind of off the pitch um what drove you to pursue it in in that respect in terms of uh, as a career as a career yeah. yeah um for me like i did sports management in college so I remember leaving school and I wasn't too sure. I actually was half thinking about going to UL to do PE teaching um, or up to Jordanstown or a place like that. And then I got sports management and I suppose it intrigued me because it was so flexible. Um, Now, we were the first year to do the degree course, so I'm sure we were the guinea pigs and it was trial and error and we were throwing absolutely everything and anything. But... um, it really taught me a lot about the whole development side of sport in terms of planning, strategic planning, um, either skill development or even into facility management and event management and that sort of thing. So um, it was through a friend of mine who who did the same course with me. She started working for Dublin GEA and told me about 
um, these new jobs that had come out they were games promotional officers and I'd probably be handy enough at it if I, you know, if she wanted to put my name in. Um, so fair play to her. It's Ashley Farley in case she's listening. She was <laughs> the one who got me through the door, put my name forward. But I applied for the job and got an interview with Volunteer St John's and Dublin GEA. And I knew when I saw the job description that that's what, exactly what I wanted to do. It was coaching every day. Um, it was yeah just like all the time either on the pitch or you're trying to improve players improve coaches um, that sort of thing and um, from the minute I went into the job I absolutely loved it Um, it was I had about nine primary schools in South Dublin just around the clubhouse Uh, we had secondary schools you were in charge of upskilling the coaches um, and it was just great fun like the kids were amazing and you kind of like I got to know so many kids in the area where you're making a difference to their lives nearly um, and you could see that you could see them improving you could see the joy in their face when they saw you coming in with a bag of footballs or a bag of helmets and hurls and things like that and, and how much they wanted to go out and learn from you and play the games that you had set up for them to do um, and then the mentors or the coaches themselves and volunteer were absolutely amazing as well and just wanted to absorb absolutely everything you could give them but even while I was there, it was all the time trying to think, OK, how can I make this better? How can I make it more accessible for even more kids to start playing GEA? Um, and it wasn't a male or female thing either, which I think is really good about the role. Now, maybe it's because I was a female um, so I made sure that my time was split equally between boys and girls. But when you go into a primary school, you're coaching the whole class, you know, and it's not that you're just looking for boys to join the boys team or anything like that. You want to get as many kids out of that class back into the club and you want to grow the numbers playing all the time. Um, and we did, you know, I'd say every year it was something like 10%. We increased it. Um coming into the nursery and, th- and through the team so it was fantastic but for me it was all the planning outside of that so it was developing um, player pathways and things and sh- like being able to show the coaches okay in year one this is what you should be coaching, year two you move on to this etc etc um, I think that my change then and how I got into the rugby, um, I was obviously playing rugby and GEA um, at, towards the later stages so I was in Ballantyre St John's for six years so when I got to year three, four um, I had started playing rugby and then year four and five the kids started to ask me about rugby as opposed to Gaelic football and then I kind of knew okay I am like I'm on the Irish team I'm on the TV sometimes I'm getting interviewed for rugby and it was just I felt bad I suppose that there was a, not not necessarily a conflict and the club were always so supportive of me but um, I knew that okay I am going down the rugby route and I also started looking and I could see that there was a massive potential for women's rugby to grow as well um, I knew that there was jobs there in women's rugby so I was kind of waiting to see if one came up mm-hmm. that's what I was definitely going for um, I was waiting a while and I was even looking at going teaching and things like that because I knew I was coming out of the GEA and I, I was kind of finishing up in Volunteer St John's so I was looking for something else to do but it just it literally you know things happen for a reason and I'd say a couple of months after wondering what I should go back and do teaching suddenly a job was advertised in the IRFU and I did absolutely everything in my power to try and get that job <laughs> um, yeah it was you know when you prep so hard for an interview because yeah. you want it so badly um, and I really did and it's it's 
not easy by any means. I'm in the job three years now in probably a couple of weeks time, I think. Um, and how I remember is because we won the Grand Slam and I was in the job, I think, two weeks and suddenly I had this trophy and didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so I was wondering, well, where do we go now? Take it round schools, what happens here? Um, but it was it was tough. Like I went obviously from working in a club scene and on the pitch very much all the time to more at a desk, to driving around the country, trying to to increase the playing population for female rugby. Um, and you're just it's all about building the relationships with provinces with staff on the ground which I'm still trying to do and I I don't think that will ever stop Um, so there's I mean we've done a bit of work in women's rugby obviously we're promoting it that bit more we are getting more and more girls into the sport but there's still a hell of a lot that we can be doing and that hopefully we will yeah that's we're all very impressive wow (laughs) Um, I talk too much (laughs) that's really interesting Uh, I suppose I'm definitely a little bit different um, in the sense that my role in developing women's soccer is more I suppose it's not my full time job at all Um, I'm currently working in a law firm it's only a recent recent job for me Um, but I suppose I did a postgrad in sports law so I am planning hopefully to work in sport at some stage in the future the dream job would be the Irish Sports Council so if anyone in there wants to give me a job, right, I'll be ready in a few years. <laughs> um, but no, or the FAR is something that I do definitely want to work in sport full time at some stage in the future. But my part in developing women's soccer would have been, um, I suppose, as a coach. I did a bit of management last year and of course I'm doing a bit of writing at the moment. So I, in co- I was in college last year and I got offered the role of managing our under 16 Galway soccer side. Um, it was I'd done some coaching before but managing was something totally new to me but I absolutely loved it and I only wish I could do it this year it's just a lack of time I won't be able to do it so I suppose in whatever spare time I have I try and do a bit of coaching when I can um, it sounds cliche but it is incredibly fulfilling to do that because I remember growing up how important those coaches are that you actually learn from and who actually have passion about it I still have a probably I could count four or five really really important coaches who played a huge part in my career my development so I suppose you feel responsible in that sense when you're coaching girl, young girls you really want to do the best that you can so I suppose my development role is, is via coaching a bit of management and also at the moment um, the way I can continue to develop the game while working a lot is to write when I can so uh, Gareth Maher of the FAI is communications executive with the FAI asked me to come on board as a columnist this season which I was a little scared about a little reluctant to do Um, I think that's just a typical kind of female thing you're I suppose you don't want to put yourself out there it's scary you're worried about being judged you're worried that players you play against will take the piss out of you (laughs) things like that Um, but so far I've been riding since the start of the season and it's going fine I've got a lot of support and a lot of positive feedback Um, it's funny that when you publish a column and you put yourself out there, it's funny how a little word of support or anything nice is goes a long way, like it pushes you to keep going. So the reason I'm doing it is to try and promote the game because you just don't have that from a lot of women's sports, especially soccer, because there's a lot of talk about rugby lately and it's very much justified because you guys are doing so well, like really amazing and you're, you're pushing on and bringing so many women into playing sport in Ireland. Same with Gaelic, there's a lot of talk about women's Gaelic. Um, I suppose the recent is a little that have come on board with the the women's GPA is is a really good combination and they're going to promote it hugely and it's going to be a great year for them. 
Um, women's soccer, I'm not sure. It's just a little bit different and we're a little bit behind. Um, I do maintain that as soon as our senior team qualifies for a major tournament, I think the tides are going to change big time. I think it's going to be a huge push for girls to start playing. But at the moment, we just don't have enough girls kind of putting themselves out in the spotlight and that's totally understandable because nobody wants to do it like, just don't, it's not a female thing we just don't have the ego to do it and um, we're all a bit scared to do it so I suppose I hope by writing and continuing the column that I hope people will read it and share it and I suppose see the benefits that you get from participating and continuing to commit your time to sport so that's my, my role at the moment I guess well, we certainly read it and share it. We're Thank you. Pretty big fans. <laughs> um, so you guys have both spoken about the importance of, you know, structure and facilities, um, but these things all need resources. Um, so what initiatives would you like to see introduced kind of at government level um, to further develop women's and girls' participation in sport? We were, you know, we're all very aware of initiatives like This Girl Can in, in the UK by Sport England. So what do you think the government over here can do to, to increase participation? Um, yeah, like you mentioned funding there. So obviously it is about increasing funding and um, in women's sport in particular, but also all forms of sports, in particular in primary school, um, secondary school, increasing the amount of time the kids do PE. Um, like I know when I worked in Volunteer St John's, when I went into school and spent 45 minutes with the kids, that was their PE t- t- time for the week and they'd be lucky if they got out again. So, okay, I know I was a GEA coach going in there, but for a lot of those classes, I was their PE coach, which shouldn't be the case, I don't think. You know, um, It's great that you have outside coaches coming in to teach the kids something new, but you need to get them out more times you know, during the week. Um, so definitely increasing that primary or the the amount of PE that occurs in primary school and then again bring it into secondary school it's still too low as well and you can understand it I mean I know teachers under pressure and I have a lot of friends who are teachers and they have so much that they need to cover and nearly tick a box to show that they have touched on all the various topics but um, I think something needs to be done because even when they get to secondary school there is no I think it's only two sessions so what's that an hour and 15 minutes a week um, and again we talk about the participation rates there are so many uh, probably well particularly girls but uh, also boys who show up to PE and it's not what they want to do you know everybody's tastes are different and I think that's important as well that we have all the various options available um, for the different types of kids so if you are an individual type athlete and all you do in PE is five-a-side soccer well you're probably going to find excuses to pull out of that you know and it's just I suppose becoming more um, imaginative uh, in relation to that but uh, the likes of the Women in Sport grant that the government obviously issue and through the Irish Sports Council like that is it's key and it is really important but I think it needs to be doubled across all sports you know so what they give out is really important for a lot of the NGBs and and not just like say rugby or soccer are the big ones but um down for the smaller sports as well they need a cut of it and that's the only way they're going to develop um, any of these so I I think increasing budgets all around and I know it all comes back to money but it does and you mentioned this girl can that costs something like £10 million mm-hmm. pounds, which is 
great crazy amount of money but England do spend more money on everything and then we take their ideas and copy them and it costs a lot cheaper so (laughs) (laughs) we can still do that um, uh, at a you know a lesser scale but something can be done Um, I don't think we've had any kind of major marketing campaign coming out from the Irish Sports Council in in a while so um, I believe it's time and like I was at a a conference where it was spoken about and they were looking for ideas of what they could do so hopefully now over the next election and the new government that comes in that they actually do something about it Yeah there are some really good points there and I kind of agree with the sections that you've touched on especially schools Um, it's funny when we both were answering our first question we mentioned primary schools and that's where we started off so it shows so important and Again, I was at a similar conference or just kind of a workshop um, late last year. I think it was Fiona Cochran that spoke and said, by the time girls get to secondary school, so age 12, by the time you get to that point, and if you're not already used to playing sport or if it's not something that's accepted and it's not something that's normal within your class, then it's nearly a little late at that stage. So having P as a dedicated time slot in primary school is just so, so important. Um, it can't be understated the importance of that. And having, I suppose, a dedicated PE teacher to do that as well. Um, when I think back to one or two years in primary school, we were just unfortunate. We just had a, a great a great teacher, absolutely loved her, but she just hated PE. So if it was raining, we just weren't going to go outside. And we were dying to get outside and play, but she just didn't like sport, didn't like PE. And, and I suppose we suffered as a result. Um, so just having maybe a dedicated PE teacher in as many schools as possible would be such a, maybe not a small step it's difficult to organise but it would be so effective in terms of the long term development that it will produce um, again I know it comes down to money it is money right it's always money but if the money can be allocated in the right ways more cost effective ways it, it can have a huge effect I'd say um, I spoke in my column once about a, a law in the states called Title IX um, it's a law in America and the universities were basically in short, what what the boys' sports get, the girls' sports get too. And I I probably don't think that um, Ireland will see something similar for many, many years, but maybe a sort of watered-down version could be considered here in terms of clubs. So, for example, I look look at, um, again, just my own experience with the Galway soccer last year, and I just could not comprehend how the boys underage just got double the amount that we got. I just, I couldn't... I couldn't understand or accept that that still happens now. It was I was really really shocked, and I I asked to see the budget, see the breakdown, to see the money that was going, and I I wasn't given it. I asked so many times for a meeting, I just wasn't given it. So, w- what was wrong was that people in positions of responsibility just didn't care. So you had guys there who just didn't care about girls' sport. They they saw it as an annoyance rather than an opportunity, or and that was the problem. So, I think dedicated efforts being made to have roles designed purely for women's sport it's not what you want to need to happen but I think it just does need to have to happen Um, for example with the FAI we used to have uh, development officers dedicated to women's soccer and unfortunately with cuts that they got removed so just having those people in those positions who are purely pushing women's sport and and access for as many girls as possible is so so important Um, the Irish Sports Council it's great with the grant that they've had recently but I remember kind of looking at their page maybe last year, the year before, and they have a women in sport dedicated section. But when you actually try to get information about it, it kind of brings you to this 
Facebook page that's not really um, updated too often and I don't know if you guys have seen it but again that's a prime example of not having somebody in a position where people are going to look for information and you're just there's none there and that can really provide barriers people might just give up I mean someone might just say look it's not possible we tried we tried we couldn't get anything from it so just having people um, giving their time and, and getting paid for it I mean can they just create a position creating one position with the proper salary could have so many knock on effects for so many girls in Ireland so I suppose different things like that mm-hmm. um, wouldn't take a huge amount of time not a huge amount of money in the grand scheme of things but like I said the knock on effects would be huge well, it'll be all eyes on our new incoming government to see what they what they can <laughs> yeah. deliver. And in the meantime, um, all the young girls playing sport around Ireland are very lucky to have role models such as yourselves to look up to. Um, on that note, Ruth and Nora, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Fair Game. Thanks, thank Thanks for listening to this episode of Fair Game. Visit our website at castaway.media forward slash fair game for previous episodes and check back in fortnightly for future episodes. You can also search and subscribe to Fair Game on iTunes. Special thanks to our guests for this episode who took time out of their busy training and work schedules to join us. You can follow Nora on Twitter at Nora Stapleton and Ruth at Ruthie Fahey. That's R-U-T-H-Y Fahey. Whilst you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us too. Our username is at FairGameCast. As well as information about this podcast, you'll get a constant stream of stories about Irish sportswomen. We'd love to hear from you too. Let us know your thoughts by using our official hashtag FairGamePodcast. That's it for this episode. Join us again in two weeks' time when we'll be tackling the topic of sport as a career. This was a Castaway Media production. Find more great podcasts on our network. Visit castaway.media. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.5%, APR 4.78%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 2% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030.